beautiful, so beautiful in, in, in song. And, you know, as we, we, we had an opportunity all right, already in two of those, those passages just to, to really, for songs to really think and meditate and to be able to sing about the awesomeness of our God, the holiness of our God. We're going we're gonna to be, be seeing where God, that, the God that created all things, as the kids said, he don't create junk, and, um, and, but he did something very miraculous or very only God-like, and, and something he did something that, that, that in all reality, it, was made it, it made it very hard for men to believe that God really did these things. And that's what I want to look at today. I was really suffering, I mean, uh, struggling with, gosh, what should I entitle this message today? And, 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 I, and I, messaged, uh, I, I titled it, Hard to Believe, because we're going to be speaking today of the suffering servant. And we're going to, we're going to talk about today what Jesus Christ has done for us. This is part of our, our series that we've just continued on that's called Nothing But the Blood. And, and what my, my goal is within... within the, this series is the, for us to look back and to understand that, that, folks, God has never changed the way that he works among men. He came for the redemption of mankind. And there's only one way for man to be redeemed is that, that God would shed his own blood on our behalf, that God would die for you and for me. Can you imagine that? That the God of heaven who created us, the God in heaven that loved us, would give him own self on our behalf. This was such a different concept in the world that, for which Jesus lived, but also it's a, it's, a, it's a crazy concept for people even today. And the, and the Bible is, is just full of that, starting in Genesis, and, and it just goes right on through Revelation. And that's what I'm trying to do is just try to take text from the Old Testament. We'll move into the Old Testament, New Testament. But, but I want you to learn that no matter where you open your Bible, you can find the blood of Jesus Christ. You can find the love of God for you. And, and get familiar with that. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. I don't know about you this week, but God blessed me in a very, very special way. I just so enjoy when, when Brother Kenny Marr and his family comes, and it's for, in a lot of different ways. I, you know, Brother Kenny brings a different style, and, and, and I enjoy that. It break, breaks out of, you know, the, the normal way that, you know, I think, but also he, he teaches some very, very strong messages or something that, that very much spoke to my heart this week when, when, it, when he pre preached on the area of, 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 of the Jordan and, and talked about the Jordan is, is that symbol that separates us from the wilderness, the wilderness from the promised land that God has for us. And he asked us this question, what's the Jordan in your life that's keeping you from everything that God wants for you? Now, I tell you what, God revealed that to me. He spoke to me in that, and I had to deal with that. And, and, um, but, folks, it's, it's great when God begins to move and deal within your life. We all have Jordans. We all have some things that we're going to have to step over by faith to, to get all that God has for you and me. But also, in just many other ways, the Holy Spirit's just, just working and, and, and dealing in my life. And I pray that he's doing that for you. But what I encourage you to do is you can't sit on it. You need to respond. You need to step out and, and say, God, I hear you. And so, therefore, God, um, I'm going to move upon what you're doing on my heart. 
As a matter of fact, after that service and that night, I, I went down. I sat, I sat down with Wanda Sue, and we, we talked till late. And I just had to share with her what God was doing in my heart and, and make some confession to her within her, my heart. And she said, I, I just didn't realize that. I said, well, it is what it is, you know. I sat down with Nathaniel even the next day, and we sat down, and I, I shared some. Nathaniel said, I've never seen that. I said, Nathaniel. That's what God's doing in my heart. But, but folks, you need to step out there. We need to confess our sins to one another that you may be healed. You, the, the confession's powerful, whether it's in, uh, the, uh, the confession of, confession of sins or, or confession, confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. We have to say it. We have to step up because if we think about it and just only think about it, it will get lost in so many other of the clutters of our life. And so I'm challenging you today also, if the Holy Spirit worked on you and moved upon you during our revival services, or maybe he's been moving upon your heart and think issues in your heart um, in, in, the day, in, in, in the days even before that, I'm challenging you today in the name of Jesus that you need to do something about it. You need to step up and you need to proclaim it and you need to make yourself vulnerable. And saying, this is what God's doing in my life so that maybe someone else can hold you accountable. But more than anything, you're holding yourself accountable. You're saying, God, I'm not ashamed of you anymore. See, there's some of you that, that need to make your decisions public. It may be a decision for salvation. You need to stand up and, 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 and let everyone know, this is what I believe. And then you need to follow Christ and believers' baptism to, to show the, 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 the picture of, of the... Of the the old man is dead and there's a new man. There's some of you that today that maybe you're Christian. You've been Christian for a long time, but the Holy Spirit has revealed a Jordan in your life that you need to, you need to do something about that. It's time that you just, you just step over that Jordan and let God begin to bless you. Maybe the Holy Spirit is, is, is speaking to you about there's something that's just holding you back from what you need to be doing. Oh, dear friends, don't carry that baggage any longer. Deal with it. And let God do with you what he wants to do. Folks, we serve an amazing God. And, and, and he is still working in the lives today. I can tell you he's working in mine. And I just pray today that, that you would just feel the freedom to do what God wants to do in your life. If it's during the, the song services, if it's during the preaching services, if you need to come down to this altar, it's always right here for you. Why do you come to the altar, Pastor? Why, why is that important? You know, there, there, there's nothing so mystical about this altar. We realize it's carpet and some steps. But, you know, it's more symbolic than what it is. Because this is the idea that this is a place that I can come and meet with God. And you might say, well, I can just do that in my seat. Well, you can. But you know one thing about it? For you to step out of that and say, you know what? I'm not worried about what that person next to me thinks. I'm not worried about what the preacher thinks about this. This is about me and God. And when you do that and you say, God, I'm just going to come meet with you. I don't know. I can't explain it, but it's happened to me. I just know that, that there's a releasing within my life because, because it, it, just, it just puts me one-on-one -on -one with the God who loved me and the God who died for me. And that's why I encourage your, the church to, to, to get familiar with the altars. Parents, get your children familiar with, 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 the, with the altars. I just think about this weekend that, or this week that, that, that little Zane came. And boy, one of our young boys that recently gave his heart, boy, I saw him spread out across this altar. And his daddy was right there with him. And um, man, I thought, what a beautiful picture for a child that young to begin to just want to throw myself before the Lord. I don't care what my buddies think about me.
You know, the problem is, is we so much worry about what other people think rather than God thinks. And folks, only he died for us. I don't know, that's just, that's just some stuff I needed to, to, to speak and, and um, get off my chest this morning, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited about just where God is in my life and what he's doing. We heard Isaiah read where Isaiah in the sixth chapter said in the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And God gave Isaiah a glimpse of himself where Isaiah said, I saw him high and lifted up and his train, which is road, the train of his road filled the temple showing the fullness of our God. And, and there was the creatures around him speaking about the holy angels saying, holy, holy, holy. And, and I'm sure that he was speaking to Isaiah at that time and said, though things may seem bad, I'm still on my throne. But later Isaiah had, saw another picture of God that was complete contrast. You see, it's very easy to see God high and lifted up. It's easy to see God, and, and when we think about God, that, that when this train fills the temple, then, and, and that's the God we want to serve. But what if God reveals himself in a way that is not the picture within our mind? That's how he revealed himself when he came to this earth. And because of that, a lot of people thought, I can't believe in a God like that. Folks, it's not a matter of what you so much believe. It's who God is and what God's done for you. And so we're going to look at this passage today that I'm calling hard to believe. But let's just look about who God is and what he has done for us. Let's all stand together. Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. I want to go ahead. The, the, the actual text or, or, or begins in verse 13 of the 50, 50, um, second chapter. I'll pull back and I'll read from there. And, um, but, but most of our text we'll look at is in the 53rd, where in Isaiah 52, the verse 13, the Bible says, Behold, my servant. I have that circle within that, in my Bible, my servant. Who is he speaking about? Who is he speaking about, my servant? He can't be talking about his son, can he? He can't be talking about Jesus Christ, can he? Because Jesus Christ is God. And why would Jesus Christ be called God's servant? Jesus was not a slave, was he? But God says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and, and, and be very high. Wow, shall be lifted up. As many were astonished at thee, his visions, his visual body was so marred more than any man and his form than the sons of man. But so shall he sprinkle many nations. For that which had not been told them, they shall see, and that which they had not heard, they shall consider. But now let's look down in verse 53. This is, there were no chapters or divisions when, when God's word was written. But listen to what he says as he begins to talk about this, this servant. Who hath believed our report? And you know what he's saying? Who can believe about what I'm going to say? I think Isaiah is realizing that, that about what he is about to describe, the coming Messiah, it's going to be hard for people to believe. And, and he's writing that, who shall believe our report? He says, and who shall the arm of the Lord be revealed? And then he goes on to explain why this is hard for people to believe, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and, out, and as a root out of dry ground. 
He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there shall be no beauty that we should desire him. And remember, this was 600 years before Jesus was born. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of great sorrow, or a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid it as it were our faces from him, and despised him, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs, and he's carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes were we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, and he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the, her shears are dumb, or is quiet, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord, it pleased Jehovah to bruise him. He had put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Wow. Father, I just, I just ask you to take these words and bless them, Lord. And God, I just pray that you'd apply them within our hearts and our minds in a way that we can see you as we've never seen you before. So God, bless our time together. God, do what you want to do in the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. In the Gospel of Mark, verse 10, uh, chapter 10, there's an, there's an interesting... There's, there's an interesting episode of Jesus Christ and his disciples. It was when Jesus Christ began to set his heart and his mind toward Jerusalem. And the Bible says that Jesus was, was, was walking toward Jerusalem. And he was speaking to his disciples and he was repeating over and over to them the type of things that he must encounter. Now remember, this was the Jesus Christ that these men had left everything for. They thought that he would be the Messiah that would come and lead Israel out of bondage of the Romans and he would be a great earthly king. And, but here Jesus was telling them as he went to Jerusalem the things that he must encounter. He began to tell them that he would be betrayed and he would be, he would be falsely accused by the priest and the scribes. He said that he would be taken and beaten and scourged and mocked and laughed at. He had even told them that, that he would die at the hands of those who were his accusers and that he would be buried and rose again on the third day. But have you ever had one of those times where you're trying to be serious with someone and you're trying to speak something into their life? And boy, you're just, as you, as you really get to the, the meat of the thing, then they pop their head up and act like they don't even, they hadn't even listened to a word that you said. And that's what was going on. 
Here Jesus was speaking of them of, uh, and trying to prepare them for the horrors that, that he would face. And then out of nowhere, James and John kind of popped their head up and said, said, Master, can you grant us a request? He says, what is it? Well, when you are, are found in your glory, can you let one of us sit on your right hand and the other one on the left hand? Jesus had to be absolutely exasperated. All they were thinking about was themselves. All they were thinking about is that one day that Jesus, when you get on your throne, I want to be your right-hand man and the other wants to be the left-hand man. And that had to just break the heart of Jesus. You see, because in the mind of James and John, they, they had no idea, and it was too hard for them to believe that Jesus Christ would die at the hands of man, and that didn't even register with them. But before you get on James and John too much, folks, people's always been people. And even today, so much of even our, our Christianity is, is what can it do for me? It's all based upon self. As a matter of fact, that's the root of, of all of our sin. It's putting ourselves on the throne of God. What can I get out of this particular thing? It, it didn't change. It didn't just start with James and John and, and then carry on to us, folks. That was going on in the, days of, in the days of Isaiah. Because as a matter of fact, when this prophet of God was about to, to write about the works of God and who the servant would be, he says, who's going to believe what I'm about to tell them? He wrote that out. Who's going to believe our report? Because this is going to be so different than what we want to make in our mind of the Lord Jesus Christ and of God himself. And I want us to take that today, and I want us to begin to, to look at that today and ask ourselves today, do I really believe this stuff? This stuff that was, that was written... 600 years before Jesus came, but then it was played out in the life of Christ himself. Do I really believe that? Because the Bible says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, we shall be saved. But yet these things have always been so hard to believe. You know the first thing that, that, that why, I'm sure that when Isaiah was, was about to pen this, he says, who can... Who, who can believe our report? And when he began to speak about, about when, 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 when the Son of God would come, when the Messiah would come, the lowly estate that he would come by. Or I, I know that a couple of weeks ago I'd, had, I'd worked on this, and I put his simple existence. And however we want to describe it, when Jesus Christ came, he came in a way that, that, that no one would, would really believe it. Listen to how it describes himself and, and his very, first of all, his lowly potential. It said that he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and, out as, a, and as a root out of dry ground. Well, what does that mean, that he's going to grow up as a tender plant? And you have to do a little bit of research, and, and that tender plant kind of gives an idea of a shoot, but in the, in the, in the deepest form, it means it's a, kind of a sucker shoot. Do you know what a sucker plant is? Well, around the, the house, I have a lot of... Um, water oak tree that kind of grew in the fence lines and and everything and boy this this past winter i got in there and i cut all them things down and i'm so proud of myself but i but i left all those stumps and out of all those stumps come these little sucker plants 
boy, they just, they came out of it, and it didn't come one, it was just this kind of, and so here, here the, it just growing up, and, and it was, it was a nuisance, it was aggravating, I didn't have to cut these with my chainsaw, I could cut them with my, with my weed eater or something, but it's, it's just, a, just a little tender plant that, that it's just, that's not very strong within itself. And as a matter of fact, from this word comes at times that they would call a child that was, that was, that was still breastfeeding, a suckling child, they would call, use this idea because it, it spoke of a child that was totally dependent upon its mother. And what he's trying to show is the weakness here, the dependency here. Because when we think of our Messiah, when we think of a Savior, we want something strong. We want something royal. And here it's describing him as nothing more than a little sucker plant, just a little, just something that has no value at all. Totally dependent upon that which is strong. But did you know that's what Jesus said about himself? Did you know that Jesus Christ spoke in, 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 in John, the fifth chapter, verse 17, these words that the Son can do nothing of, of, of himself other than what he sees the Father's doing? That Jesus Christ told his disciples, this one that was going to be the Messiah, Jesus says, I can't do nothing apart from my Father. He admitted that when he came to this earth, that, that he was nothing more than a tender plant, completely dependent on that for which he was attached. He was not this mighty warrior that we like to put it within our mind. He was just a, just a tender plant. The Bible says he's also like a root and dry ground. You know what a root and dry ground is good for? Nothing. I picked up a bunch of them in my life. And normally what we did is we just threw them in a pile and burned them. You know, a, a, a root that, that's been broken away from the, from the stump that, that, that's in dry ground, it, it can't do anything. It needs moisture. It, need, it needs to, to begin to... to, to regenerate itself but in dry ground it can't do anything it's useless and that's how it's describing our lord jesus that with when you looked at this servant that isaiah was speaking of you would think that he has no potential to do anything good within himself I guarantee you Jesus Christ wouldn't have got voted most likely to succeed at any of his classes. You know, he, he was that kid that the teachers would just kind of looked over on awards day. He's just a tender plant. He was a, like a, a root out of dry ground. And you see, it, it makes it hard for believe how can this guy be the Messiah? But listen to what it continues to say, and, and this is so, so heart-gripping to me. Look what not only his potential, but his appearance. Listen to what it says. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we desire him. There was nothing good-looking about Jesus Christ. And, and, and I have to say that within, with, 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 within um, quotation marks of his cause, how we describe good-looking. You know, our world has an idea of what, who, who, who's pretty and who's not. Who's handsome and who's not. 
you know, we have defined that, and, and, and folks, it's not only within our culture, but it was in the day of Jesus Christ. It was in the day of, it was in the day of, of David. Do you remember that when, when Samuel was called to go to the go to Jesse to anoint one of his sons, and, and, and Jesse brought all of his younger sons because they all looked the part of, of being anointed a king, and the very one he didn't bring was the one that God anointed. And before he even began to look at Jesse's other boys, God warned, he warned Samuel. He says, hey, don't look at the outward man. I'm, only in, I'm, I'm interested on the inward man. But that's how it's described as Jesus Christ. Listen again that, that he has no form or comeliness. There is nothing that would draw you to appearance-wise to this servant that would come, that would be the Messiah of the world. I hate to even describe how that may look because when I did, so you know, because we all have our idea of what's pretty and what's, what's, what's not pretty. But you know in your mind, he was the kid that, that the other kids would laugh at because I don't know, maybe, it's like my brother said when he was born, he says, you know, I was born a set of ears and then I had to grow into them. You know, I, you know, he, you know that, that's how my brother identified himself. And I, I remember, and I, I'll crack on my brother a little bit, when my mom had him, there was, a, there was a hard time in delivery, and, you know, that's when they used for it. He was just bruised all up. I mean, his head was swollen, and, and, you know, and mama would say that, you know, when everybody looked at Tommy, they'd kind of just turn their head, and, and mama says, you know, but he's still my baby, though. He's still pretty to me. And you know, um, but, 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 but Tommy grew out of that to a fine, fine fella. But there was nothing in this servant. There was no comeliness or form in him. And the Bible says there's just no beauty that we should desire him. I think what he's saying is Jesus just didn't look the part. You know, isn't it amazing that when we start looking for heroes today and in the movie cast heroes that, you know, it's all what the, the world thinks is the best-looking guys or the best-looking women. I mean, it's how it is. You know, you, all you see is when, when people, when, when, you know, it doesn't matter whether they're selling drips or whether they're selling cameras, you know, it's got... You know, the starlet there. Because we define, we try to define beauty as being somebody. And there was nothing pretty about Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sure his mama loved him and his mama thought he was pretty, but no one else did. And that's why I think Isaiah was saying, you know, it's, who's going to believe our report that this guy that's going to come to redeem my people? He doesn't look the part. He doesn't look the part. And I want to say this as a word of encouragement for each of us. You know, so many times that we think, but I don't look the part, but God can use you. Just like he used his servants. You know, not everybody's like us. It was a star football player and head full of hair and had the women Eddie, you know, like you, you know. And, um, you know, everybody can't be Eddie's out there.
There was nothing special about Jesus Christ. You know, one of the cool things about that, though, is as Paul mentions that to the church of uh, uh, the church Corinthian, when he says, but in, in, in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, he says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God's chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty and the base things of the world that are despised. God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Folks, isn't that good? That God does not look at the outside. God does not look at what man describes as beautiful. God does not look at what the the world sees, but God looks inside. And God can take one, a servant that the Bible says that there's no form or comeliness about him, there's nothing beautiful about him, that, that he does not look the part. Whether people believe it or not, this is my Messiah. And folks, that's who our Jesus Christ was. You know, when you see those pictures of Jesus Christ, he's always got long flowing hair. The old dark eyes, clean shaven beard. That's not how Jesus looked like. He, he probably had a crooked nose and one ear bigger than the other one. Something that no one would understand. But that's our Jesus and, and what leads to that is why Isaiah would say, why it's so hard to believe. No one accepted him. Listen to what he said in his painful rejection of verse 3. He is despised and he's rejected by men. He's despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrow is acquainted with grief and is that. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. How can a guy like that be if somebody, when everyone rejects him? You know, the religious leaders of the day, they had been speaking and and prophesying uh, and and, and knowing the prophets of the coming Messiah, that that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be born of the line of David, that he would be born in Bethlehem. And for Jesus Christ, you can check all those off. But even the religious leaders rejected him. This can't be the Messiah. And not only did they reject him, the Bible says they despised him. There was just something about Jesus Christ, and maybe it's the way he lived and the, and the, and the virtue that he lived in his life that, 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 that it, it repelled people because maybe because of his righteousness, it was showing just how sinful they were. But it's one thing to be rejected by by the leaders of the day, but what about your own town? His own town rejected him. And worse than that, his own brothers rejected him. I think there's hardly any emotion that hurts any more than rejection. Where all we desire within our heart is to to have relationship and and, and to love someone and have them love us in return. But, But Jesus Christ, the Bible says, was despised and he was rejected by men. As a matter of fact, it says... And when we saw him, and I, th- I love it how Isaiah made that a personal, first-person pronoun because he added himself in the group. Isaiah was not so righteous that he was talking about you people. He says, I, I, would, I did it too. But when we saw him, we would like hide our faces. 
How can a person like that be somebody? But that's the very person that came to save you and me from our sins. When he came to this earth, he didn't drape himself in the body of a good-looking, you know, prince. He didn't, you know, he, he didn't come with all the, all the attire that people would say, hey, that, that's got to be the guy. He didn't come with that charismatic personality where everybody just, just, just drew around him. But that's the people God uses. He was so contrary to, to, to what the people had in mind of, of who the Messiah would be. Before I get to that last point, or my next point, I'm not going to get to all of this today. But let's just think about that for a moment. Why would God choose to send his son in such a way that it would be so hard for people to believe that he did not, he did not have the appearance of what the world thought would be the Messiah? He did not have the appearance of what the, the, the people would think would be the Savior. You know, he did not come in and, you know, a foot taller than everyone like, else would like, like King Saul was. You know, God gave them a king one time named Saul, uh, a man that everybody thought was a guy, and then he turned out to be the terrible king. But he brought a guy into the world that was ugly in the world's standards. Apparently had very little personality about him. You know, people despised, they rejected him. Why, why would God do that? Because, folks, he came to identify with you and me. Because you and me can understand the pain of rejection. You and me can identify with not being pretty enough or handsome enough in the world. And what's so sad about young people, what you see in those magazines or TVs, those people aren't really, they've been airbrushed up so much, that's not how they look. They've painted them up to give them the way the world thinks they look, but you'd be amazed if you saw these people without the makeup. But see, when Jesus Christ came, he came to identify with you and me. He came to live a life that, 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 that he's not the most popular guy in town, but he, he was a kid that the, ones other, the other kids laughed at. He wasn't big and strong and fast like everyone else. He didn't have that, that overflowing personality. And you know what? We can identify with that. Because, see, Jesus Christ, when he came, he came to be not only the king, but he came to be the high priest that, that he could be tempted in every way. He can know every hurt and pain that you're feeling. There's some of you today that are dealing with the pain of rejection. Jesus was despised and rejected. There's some of you today that because of your stand and, and, and that I'm going to do the right thing, you've had your own families to, to move away from you. Jesus felt the same thing. 
Again, he, when he came, he came that was so contrary to what the world was looking for. He wasn't the Hollywood script. And therefore, people rejected him. This can't be the guy. It's, it's too hard to believe that, that he would come and just be like one of the common people. And that's why Isaiah would say, who is going to believe what I'm about to tell you? And then even listen to how he came and why he came of his substitutionary sufferings. Where he says, surely he has borne our griefs. Listen how many times that he, 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 when, when he describes this, possess, this first person possessive pronoun about our. He came, he has borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, and the Lord, we've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This man that came to, to be a man with no beauty, no comeliness, nothing that the world would, would stand out in the world, as a matter of fact, that he would come to be, be laughed at and mocked by the world. And when the world was laughing for him, he was suffering for them. Isn't that amazing? It would have been very easy. It would have been very easy for the Messiah, the Son of God, because of his rejection, because of him being despised, because of him being laughed at, because of him being mocked, because of not even his own brothers to look at him. It would have been very easy for him to have a bitter soul. And do something bad. But instead, he had a merciful soul and gave all that he had. You know, I think about so many times at Calvary when the Bible says that, that you know, even before, when he, when he was being tried and the crowds was out, out there saying, crucify him, crucify him. You know, it said the masses were doing that. And then when he died on Calvary, it says there, there's people just walking around him and, and, and like dogs, they were just mocking him. And, and when you understand that, God, folks, there were some people that was crying out, crucify him, the very people he healed them from not being able to speak. The people that he came to do so much for were the people that, he, that rejected him. That's why it's so hard to believe. I mean, I, I'll, I'll be frank with you. There's times in my life that, that I have to deal with some anger and unforgiveness. And, and, and if I don't watch out, and there's times there's been a root of bitterness that grow up because being hurt by somebody else. And, 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 and as somebody said, bitterness is like drinking your own poison. But Jesus Christ, even though he was rejected and despised and hurt and crucified, he never was bitter. 
He was doing it for the purpose to die for our iniquities. Wow. The Bible says he was pierced for our transgressions. Paul talks about how, when he talks about that piercing, where he took our sins and he nailed them to the cross. Isn't that something? The very people that he mocked, that mocked him and despised him and rejected him and laughed at him, he died, came to die for them. See, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around that. How could one that was treated so harshly love me so deeply? Peter writes, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to our sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. Folks, your only true healings is going to come from the one that, that probably you laughed at and rejected in times past. But he loved you anyhow. Isn't that so good? See, that's why Isaiah said, who's going to believe this? I mean, even if I told you, who's going to believe it? See, it's hard to imagine that we serve such a marvelous Savior. That he didn't come in pomp and grandeur. He didn't come riding in on a white stallion. He came not a very pretty guy in simple clothing riding in on the on the back of a donkey. He didn't come in in fanfare. He come in in, in rejection. His own, his, own, his own family rejected him. But he came to die for those very ones. See, that's hard to believe. That's hard to understand. But folks, the thing about it, he's the only way you have the salvation. There is no salvation in any other. You can't find it anyway. I'm, I'm just going to. I'm going to just speak on a couple of things. But I'm not going to elaborate on this. But but then it talks about you know that he was oppressed and he was afflicted. He opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before shearers. So he opened not his mouth. He didn't say a thing. I'd be screaming and yelling and shouting all the way down. But the Bible says, as a sheep being led to the slaughter, he never opened his mouth. Even though he was reviled, as Peter would say, he never reviled back. Even though people spoke sharply to him, he didn't get back at them. And what did he give? He gave everything. Total sacrifice. He died, as we find in verses 8 and 9, but not only for his own sins, but for the transgressions of others. And his work was so completed, the Bible says it satisfied the Lord. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews says this, who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person and upholding all things into the word of his power, when he, when he had by himself purged our sins, after he died, after he suffered, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty. Folks, he was finished. And what that is saying to me and to you, that all the work that needed to be done for your soul and my soul has already been done. But how do you receive that? You receive it through belief. I'll close out by, uh, by an illustration. Chuck Colson, head of prison fellowship and just a great, mighty worker of God, but, 
boy, he was kind of known as the, you know, as the hit man for the Nixon squad. If, if they wanted something bad to be done, he, he would jump up, whatever it took for politics, you know. But God redeemed him in prison, and he started prison um, fellowship. And listen to this. It says, the late Chuck, Chuck Colson, founder of Prison Fellowship, tells a story of a, of a um, notorious prison in Brazil named Mameta. It was so run down and ineffective that the Brazilian government turned it over, over the prison to, to, to two Christians. And from that moment, the prison was run by, these, by Christian principles. With the exception of two full-time staff, all the work was done by inmates. Chuck Colson visited the prison and said, when I visited Humatia, I found that the inmates, the inmates smiling, particularly the murderer who held the keys, opened the gates and let me in. Wherever I walked, I saw men at peace. I saw clean living areas and people working. The walls were decorated with biblical sayings from Psalms and Proverbs. My guide escorted me to the notorious prison cell once used for torture. Today, he told me that the torture room houses only a single inmate. And as we reached the end of a long concrete corridor, he put in the key, put the key in the lock and looked at me and asked, are you sure you want to go in to see the prisoner? Colson said, of course, I've been in isolation cells all over the world. Slowly swung open the massive door and Colson saw the prisoner in that punishment cell. It was a crucifix beautifully carved by the prisoners on the cross hung the prisoner, Jesus. But God said to Chuck Colson, he's doing time for the rest of us. He gave his life for us. He changed our lives. You say, Jesus Christ went to that prison cell for you and for me. He went, he went to that torture chamber for you and me so that we would not have to pay the wrath of God. He went to that electric chair for you and me so we would not have to pay eternal death because of our sins. He did it for you and me. And so I appeal to you today, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, God loves you so much he sent his son into the world. And when he sent his son into the world, he didn't come being a good-looking chap, wearing the finest clothes, driving the fanciest cars that all the paparazzi of Hollywood would want to follow around. He came into this world born of a virgin, poor, wrapped in just, just, just basic clothes, wasn't pretty, didn't have great personality. His own people rejected him. He understands he understands heartache, but he came for you and me. The reason he could die for our sins is because he had never sinned. He lived a righteous life that you and me could not live, and therefore he could die a death that only he could die for the sins of others. The very one that you've probably laughed at, the very one that you've probably rejected at times in your life, he came and he died for you. He bore your iniquities. But the Bible says if you had confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall not be saved because with the heart man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Maybe this is not a picture if you had of Jesus Christ 
And that's why Isaiah said, who's going to believe it if I tell you? But folks, it's true. And I invite you today to one named Jesus who came, and although you may have rejected him, he's never rejected you. The Apostle Paul said these words. He came into this world, the very world that he created, but his own did not even receive him. But you know what? He's asking you today, would you come to me? Would you come to me? Maybe you today have felt rejected. You, you felt despised by others. Maybe you felt today that, boy, it just seems like everything. You've been given a bad hand. Jesus understands that. And you know what he says? He says, if you'd come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He says, if you'd take my yoke upon me and learn of me, I'm meek and lowly in heart, and I'll give you rest for your souls. I'm asking you to come to Jesus. I want to ask our, our companies to come up at this time. In just a moment, we're going to stand, and we're going to have a time of invitation. I'm asking you to come on up. And Has the Holy Spirit spoken to your life right now? I invite you to come, my friend. Maybe you need to come to this altar today, and you need to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Although I rejected you, you've never rejected me. And you just want to come and say thank you. Or maybe today you're feeling hurt and you're feeling pain within your life and you need to come to the altar and say, Lord, help me, help me. Or maybe today you've never, you've never made a decision for Christ and you need to talk to someone about this wonderful Savior. Maybe God has opened your arms. Maybe he's revealed, revealed himself to you today. I'm asking you to come and you talk to someone about that. Or maybe you've made a decision that, that, that for Jesus Christ, and you've never, you've never made that public so that you, you never testify that I'm not ashamed of Jesus. Let me tell you, this Jesus is not ashamed of you. He hung, he hung naked upon a cross, accused of things he didn't do for you and for me. He died for you and me. As the Holy Spirit speaking to you, as our team begins to play, I want to ask you to stand. The altar's open, my friend. And I'm going to invite you to come. I'm going to invite you to come. Come today. Oh, Isaiah said, it is so hard to believe. I'm asking you today to cast yourself on such a wonderful Savior. Would you come as our team leads us in song? Do you need to talk to someone? Do you need to just praise Him? Why don't you just come today? Come to Jesus.